Well, I almost feel like we should take a moment of silence because today is the last day of the book of Matthew. So let's uh, pause for a second. Some of you are like, I've never been at this church when we weren't talking about Matthew. Yeah, so we're at the last last Sunday of, of Matthew, the book of Matthew, which has been awesome and excited and then also excited about the future as well. But quick little story. I was camping uh, with the staff. We kind of did a little staff retreat with the families this last week. And I was taking Priscilla, my youngest, and I was throwing her up in the air and just, I mean, as high as I possibly could. And every time I'd throw her up, she'd come down and she'd say, again, again. You know what didn't cross her mind every time I threw up there? I don't think at one time, I mean, other than her eyes get a little big, you know, that moment probably, that feels probably a little weird because your stomach like, I don't think at one point she went, wait, wait, hang on, dad. Are you going to catch me? Like, I mean, I, I know you're going to throw me up and I know you've caught me before, but, but are you going to catch me? Now, I can promise you if like I'd thrown her up and tripped once and then fell down and didn't catch her, the very next throw would have been one of those ones where she would have probably been a little bit hesitant. Like, no, 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 don't do it. But she had this complete confidence that I would catch her. So now any other time she, she puts her hands up and says, throw me up. Throw me up because she knows that I'm going to catch her. Now, you and I both know there is a chance. I mean, hopefully it's a small chance that I won't catch her, that I'll drop her. But, but to Priscilla and in her mind, there isn't even a thought process of that yet. Now, my, my older daughters, as they get a little older, they're like, We've seen dad fail a few times. So they're like, uh, uh, are you going to catch me? Are you sure? Like you can see that moment of hesitation comes. And, and it gets me, it's, it's interesting because I feel like in a lot of ways, the longer that you and I follow Jesus, the longer that we spend time walking with him, you would think that the more trust we would have in him. But, but the longer we go, we, we kind of, we feel these bumps and these moments where we, we think maybe he hasn't caught us. And so we begin to, we begin to lose lose some kind of some, some trust in Jesus in that way. And, and last week we've been, we, we've been talking about what is, what is the greatest purpose of the church? What is, what is it that God is calling us to? And, it, and Jesus commands us to, to go and make disciples. Actually, he actually assumes we're going to go. So he's like, as you're going, it's a, it's a common, common understanding. You're going to go. Then he commands, make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then he says, and then teach them to observe all that I have commanded you, not, not some things, not, not a few things, but all that I've, that I've, that I've commanded you. And so he has this, this great commission, and, and I, I wrestled with this as he, as he had this conversation, or as, he, as I read this, as I studied this, how can Jesus command that of us? It doesn't, it's not a small thing. And in fact, and, and for most of us, the problem is it's not even really a sexy thing, right? Like, we're like I wish he would command us to do something more sexy. Like, this, this making disciples is hard, and it's kind of grueling and teaching things to be observed. I mean, like, it just, ah, I wish there was something cooler to be a part of. And yet Jesus' purpose, his, his reason to, to come to this earth, to live a perfect life, sinless, and to be sacrificed on the cross, only to be raised three days later and sitting at the right hand of God, was in light of this command. And I said last week, I said, I feel like the church has done a very, very poor job, me included. We struggled to, to actually live this command out in our life. And I think the reason why most of us struggle with that was because of two verses that I didn't even touch last week. Two, two, two things that Jesus says that most of us just read right past and jump into. Okay, go make disciples. And we get real busy trying to figure out what we're supposed to do with that. I challenge you last week to pray for the who. Just, just a real quick show of hands. Did, did anyone, don't, let me say this differently. <laughs> for those of you that prayed, did, did for some reason that who, did that person come in contact with you at all this week? Raise your hand if that happened. Anyone else? Okay. A few of you. It's awesome. You prayed, God answers. The rest of us, maybe we didn't pray. The rest of us, we prayed and we didn't see it. 
But that's that whole, like, are you going to catch me, God? Like, I, I, know, I know you want to throw me out, but it's really fun when I'm in, like, full and complete and utter reliance on you and you alone. But what if you don't catch me? And that's what we're going to talk about today in, 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 in Matthew 28. So if you have your Bibles turned there, I'm going to read it again, and then we'll, we'll talk about it. 28 verse 16 is where we are. If you don't have a Bible, just slip your hands up. The ushers have a few. Again, this is the, the last thing. Matthew records this is the last thing that he tells his disciples. We know from the Gospel of John that there were some other conversations, but this was the premise of the conversation. Again, we know that at least for sure the 11 are there. Some, some scholars and, and theologians believe that there were some of, upwards of maybe 500 of his disciples were present. We understand that some maybe had some doubt at seeing him. Like, is this, is this really him? But yet all of them in the end worshipped him, and Jesus received that worship. Well, we, we rush to this section. We rush through this, and we go straight to the, the Great Commission. And like I said last week, a lot of us wrestle with, okay, this is an evangelism thing. But if you remember, a disciple is, is someone who is following Jesus, not just a follower. A disciple is a belief and a learner. So we don't, we don't just say a disciple is someone that believes in Jesus. It's someone that is believing in Jesus, someone that is learning about Jesus. So a disciple isn't just a, oh, convert and see you later, good luck, figure out the rest. A disciple is someone that is following Jesus. And so Jesus is telling them to make disciples, make following people, not just followers. And we rush to that, and some of us use this, missionaries use this as a reason to go into all the nations, to, 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 to every tribe and every tongue, and this is, that's a good thing, and that's awesome. But we, we, we skip over two parts. It's, the, it's, it's, it's really, really simple, and hopefully it stands out to you. Verse 16. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. Again, I told that you guys last week that sometimes the biggest thing we can do for Jesus is just being available. Well, the disciples were available for Jesus. They went where he was told to go. They went where they were told to go. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus speaks. And Jesus came to send them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of age. Did you, did you pick up on the, the two parts that I wanted you guys to pick up on? He uses the word all a few times in here. And last week I, I told you that that, that word all means all things. So when he says teach them to observe all things, it wasn't like all things except for when it's not convenient for our life. It wasn't, okay, all things except for when I disagree with what the Bible says. It says all things. But right before that, the first time he uses that word, he says, all authority has been given to me. All authority. Two of the most unique and, and beautiful and provocative things Jesus can say are in this text. And a lot of times we miss it. And the very first one is he has all authority. See, and that seems so simple. We move past it. It's like, oh, yeah, he has all authority. That's great. But yet you and I both know that some of the reasons why we don't make disciples is because we realize we aren't a disciple in following Jesus in our life. And a lot of the reasons why we aren't following him in that way is because we don't believe he has all authority. Jesus says something so profound. He says that all authority has been given. It's not that he earned it. It's not that he worked hard for it, but God has given him all authority on earth and in heaven. That means that every single thing is under his authority. You included, me included. I'm fairly confident that if most of us believed just that, 
our lives would look dramatically different. Dramatically different. See, authority is something that he has the fullest amount of. The authority is, is to mean that, that essentially that we are to be under it. So there's, there's no one above it. it. means all power is his. The power of all persons, all passions, all principles, all people, every single bit is under Jesus' authority. And I think the reason why most of us fail at making disciples is because we have a roadblock with that. Sure, all of us in our hearts say, oh yeah, yeah, okay, all authority is Jesus's. It's good, it's his. It's great. Everything is his, I got it. All authority is his. But yet we live our life so differently. That's why at the beginning of the year I challenge us, I said this is a year I want to make about authenticity. Because if we are going to live the Great Commission, if we're going to live the purpose of the church, then we have, to, we have to settle right now real quickly or over the next bit. What authority does Jesus have in our lives? Some of you, you, you haven't given him any authority. You just like kind of like to be, you know, guilty by association. If I just kind of associate with him a little bit every now and then, Maybe I'll, I'll have some insurance policy for the future. But all authority is his. See, if, if, if I believed all authority is his, well then I would know that every single decision I make needs to be in submissive posture to him. If I believe that every, every bit of authority is his, then I would understand that despite what may happen in our legislature, our government, it doesn't really matter because I would have peace knowing that all authority is Jesus's. If I, if I believed that all authority was his, well, then I would probably take a little bit more seriously my purpose here on earth. If I believed all authority was his, then I would realize every single thing I have, whether it's the breath in my lungs or any possession, I'd realize that I have them because I'm submitted to him and therefore his purposes. See, this is the big disconnect. All authority is his. But that in and of itself, as, as unique and as provocative and as beautiful as that is to try and understand, and most of us will never really fully capture that, that's not even the biggest part of this section. In fact, the part that I think that we skip over so much because it's just, it's, it's just something you read, and it's like, okay, on to the book of Mark or wherever we're going next, like, it's just, let's just get past it, is the very last promise, one of the most beautiful and amazing promises ever that actually bookends the entire book of Matthew. In, in chapter one, we, we, we celebrate this over and over again in the, in the book of Matthew around Christmas time. Verse one, like 23 or something like that, right? God is with us. Emmanuel is with us. A child is born. God has, has come to live with us. Well, that promise doesn't just end at the fact that he was born and then left in fact, Jesus bookends that promise in the most beautiful way. Verse 20, second part, and behold, and behold, that means pay attention. Know that what I'm about to say is so, so important. Pause on it a moment. Gaze your ears into it. Listen. Move out all the other distractions. Even though you may right now be wrestling, like, I don't even know how to make disciples. I'm still wrestling with it. He's like, wait, 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 wait. And behold, behold. I am with you always to the end of the age. Now that is the most amazing 
and beautiful promise that any one person could ever have, but it is the biggest roadblock for us followers of Jesus. See, we just established that Jesus has all authority, that there isn't any authority that he doesn't have. He has absolutely all authority over heaven and earth. And then he says, inside of that authority, hey, Bren, in case you're wondering, Bren, I'm with you. I am always with you. I'm never, ever, ever going to leave you. And sure, at times you may be flung super high up in the air and you're wondering, am I going to catch you? I am with you. And that is a promise that most of us have just blitzed past. We've lived on as if we've seen it and maybe some life experiences like, man, I stubbed my toe there. I fell off that cliff there. I've, I've seen horrific things in my life. And so I start questioning, are you really with me? Well, then we have to wrestle at the very core of who Jesus is. If Jesus is who he says he is, then we know he has absolute all authority. And if we know that he has all authority, then that means that when he says something, he's going to do it. Well, then when we hear a promise from him saying, I am always with you, well, then we can trust that. We can, we can take that exhilarating ride up and have the stomach flutters come in as they get ready to get caught on the end and know that ultimately, as far as we fall, he's going to catch us. For those of us that have surrendered to him and his authority, his promise stands true to the end of age. But see, I say that, I feel like it's like, oh, okay, neat, yeah, cool. Authority, it's mine. And I feel like there's just, we just kind of roadblock. Because some of us were like, well, yeah, okay, Jesus, all authority is yours. And you'll say you'll never leave me. But this last year sucked. You know, you know all authority is yours. And, and you promise you'll be with me through everything. But why? Why then is life so hard? I think that's a short-sightedness. That's a misunderstanding of what the gospel message is. You know, Joseph is... is is wrongly accused of, of rape, wrongfully imprisoned after he'd already been wrongfully sold into slavery. And he's 13 years in the prison, which, by the way, isn't a nice place. And at the end of that, you know what it says? And God was with him. Wait, wait, well, God, could you have been with him not through all that stuff? Like, it seems like it would have been nicer. You read the book of Job. God is in the middle of that story the entire time. Our circumstances do not mean that he is not present. And that's where we mess up. We feel like he's not caught us. We feel like he's flung us up and we're enjoying it. It's great. And we come down and just whack, hit the ground. And we're like, yeah, Jesus wasn't there. Yet his promise is, I am with you always. We, we see a response to this. And, and ultimately, it's a, it's a question of God's holiness, Jesus' holiness, and, and, and the question in that is, is his power in place? But see, I'm, I am confident that if all of us could dust off the cobweb the first time we experienced God's grace, we could just kind of go back and say, okay, all right, when I first experienced God's grace and I realized I didn't deserve a single bit of it, I was at my worst and he still came in and breathed life into me. It's in that moment that all of us are very aware of it. Maybe some of us like, I don't even remember a day without that happening. But it's in that moment where we realized, wow, I, I'm, this is incredible. Look what he's done for me. 
all I want to do is live for him because of what he's done for me. Not some kind of guilt or I owe it back, but some joy in the, fen- in the sense of, wow, all authority is his and he chose me to be his child. He's given me an opportunity to live for him. The book of Isaiah um, is, is an incredible book. I encourage you to st- you read it. Chapter 6 specifically has this, this vision of, of Isaiah in the throne room of God. And, and it's this really, really beautiful experience. And like, you, you're going to have to read it to study it. But, but the first, you know, five verses talk about what Isaiah is seeing with the seraphim and the angels and the whole thing in the throne room and the thundering. And the, the, this is where we get that they're saying over and over again, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. All right? This is, this is really amazing picture. And Isaiah's response to that is exactly what all of our response at least one time was and what we should continue to live in. He says, well, I'm ruined. Verse, uh, verses 5-3, it says, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. So he's, he's saying, I'm destroyed, I'm ruined. Like his, his, Him being in the presence of God showed just how drastically different he was compared to the holiness of God. There was, there was, there was no, no like, well, I almost made it there. You know, I'm sitting there, isn't like, oh man, I am pretty good. God, high five. Like, look at this, we're pretty close. No, he, he realized that there was no hope for him. There was no hope. And so, so then he says, I'm ruined. So then one of the seraphim flew to him, flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And so we see this moment where, where Isaiah doesn't do anything anything at all to receive the, the holiness, the, 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 the atonement for sins, to receive anything. We don't, see him, we don't see him do anything to earn that, yet he receives that. So this is that moment where, where you're experiencing God's grace in this way where you're like, I don't deserve his grace. And then he goes on, and then he says, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Now, I just want to set the scene. I don't presume to understand this whole scene. But here's Isaiah. So just picture yourself as Isaiah for a moment. You're in the, the throne room of God, kind of in this area, right? Seraphim, angels, all these amazing holy people around, like doing, like, uh, we're never going to have the power in our current standards, right, until Christ comes to the thing. We don't have anything close to the ability to, to even uphold the followings of God. And that these, these seraphim, their purpose, they have their covering of the feet, their purpose is to continue to acknowledge how holy God is. And God asks this question, hey, who, who should I send? Now, if I was sitting in the room, I'd probably be like, yeah, I mean, one of those dudes would probably be great. I mean, right? I mean, they're good. I mean, they've been in here all the time. I thank you. Thank you for making me clean. But really, they're more qualified. Really, I mean, seriously, God, they're, they're around you all the time. Like, they know what to do. I'm amongst unclean people. I'm a mess. Like, you know what? Like, just send them. That's no, not Isaiah's response. We all know this, right? His response is, for, for here I am. Send me. Exclamation point. I want to go. Send me. Why, why would Isaiah utter that? Because he understood two things. One is God's holiness. God's authority. And in those two understandings, he realized the third and most important thing. What else am I supposed to do? 
but live for those two things, his authority and his holiness. What else is there to do? And see, the problem is, is we get so busy with school and family and business and vacations and all the other fixings of life that we forget that the same thing applies to us that applied to Isaiah. It's on us. I told you last week, God doesn't have a backup plan. He doesn't say, well, just in case you guys don't make disciples. No, he, he, he willingly, graciously calls all of us to play a part in this. And if we could just think back to a moment, place ourselves just like Isaiah's experience and realize that we don't have any right to play a part in this at all. We don't earn this. We didn't do good enough or better than someone else. God's grace has been lavished on us. And he has all authority through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ has all authority. And then he promises, hey, hey, Bren, go ahead, I'm with you. So we have two options. Believe Jesus and his words are true or don't. There, there isn't a middle ground. Now I understand there are going to be times, and I do this too, there are times in my life when I, I seriously doubt him being with me. But it has nothing to do with him. It has nothing to do with him. Let me, let me say that a little bit clearly, a little, little bit more clearly. My doubts have nothing to do with the, 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 the ability for God's presence to change. Does that make sense? So may, that's, that's making it messier. I'm not getting any clearer here. <laughs> no matter how much I doubt, God's presence is always there. No matter how much fear you have, it does not change the distance in which God is with you or not with you. No matter how much you mess up, he's still there. This is why it's really comical when we sin and we try and hide it from God. It's like playing hide-and-go-seek with my two-year-old. You know, she stands behind the door, covers her face. Well, obviously, I can't see her because she can't see me. We're called to make disciples. We're called to make people that are following Jesus. And I, I told you last week, it's not just okay, I have to give every single thing to this person so that they can be complete. It's no, it's I'm just gonna empty what God has given me so that they can go to someone else to find the rest of it. And I think the reason why we stink at this is because of those two promises. We don't believe that all authority is God's and we definitely don't believe he is with us. So when I asked you guys last week, when I challenged you to pray for who, who is the person that God is, is, is sending to you? Who is the person that God is sending you to? And I challenge you, I said, ask this question. I don't mean this to be harsh, but if you didn't ask that question, you're not letting me down. You're just believing in his authority. Because that is the purpose of your life. You being a mom with kids is a role, and it's a beautiful and a hard role, but that's not the purpose. You owning a business or going to school or, or saving for retirement, those are all great things, but that's not your purpose. See, where we get lost is we start trying to find our purpose in all of those other things. And we, the reason why we get lost in doing that is because we forget that he has all authority. So when Jesus, who has all authority, 
commands me to go and make disciples, me going, yeah, that's neat, Jesus, but I just, I'm a little too busy right now, is essentially saying that I don't believe in his authority. Me not operating out of fear, or I just don't know enough, or I'm not confident enough, is not trusting that, hey, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. See, there's, there's really, unfortunately, no way we can wiggle ourselves out of this. Because on both ends is our doubts, our fears, our laziness. When Jesus, in, in two sentences, bookended it so beautifully that our only response should be, here I am, send me. Here I am, send me. I got, I got nothing else that's going to bring any value other than serving you because all authority is yours, Jesus. And the promise of knowing that you're with me is enough to do anything. Throw me as high as you want. Let the cliff be as far off at the end because I know that before I hit that ground, you're going to catch me. Because ultimately, you, you promise. He promises to never forsake or leave us. Well, if we don't believe that promise, then we're wrestling with his authority. Jesus, in, in, in one paragraph, gives us your purpose, but promises to be the way in which you can complete it. How beautiful of a promise is that? He says, hey, go ahead, go make disciples, but just in case you're feeling inadequate, fearful, ashamed, worried, or guilt, don't worry, I got all authority, and I'm going to be with you all the way. Maybe sometimes, to use another picture, my kids kind of freak out of spiders, right? There was a spider in our basement the other day. And uh, one of my daughters comes up just screaming, so afraid. I'm like, well, just go down there. It's probably gone. Like, it's more afraid of you than anything else. Like, come on. You know, who cares? She wouldn't go down there unless I was with her. And how profound and a beautiful of a picture is that when it comes to God? Maybe sometimes we're, we're trying to take on a spider without him. And that's why there's so much fear. She had no problem walking down there when I was there. That spider could have just bitten me and taken her out too at the same time, not to scare any of you people that are afraid of spiders, but <laughs> she, had, she had no doubt. And I'm not anything but just older. I can squash a spider because I'm a little bit heavier, you know? Like, I'm, that's like, that's all I got on her. But she had complete confidence because I was with her. And that's what it looks like when we walk with God, is as scary as it may be. As hard as that first conversation may be with this friend that you've been around forever, but you've had too much fear to ever share the hope that you have. As, as, as scary as it may be where God's saying, no, 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 I'm giving you this job because at this job, I'm gonna use you to be the good news. As, as scary as it is, he's saying, you don't have to. In fact, you won't walk into it alone. I'm gonna be with you all the way down. So walk confidently. Yeah, you're still gonna mess up. I can't tell you how many times I told my girls, there's no spider in there, and then later on I'm like, oops. <laughs> Missed that one. The good news is Jesus doesn't miss it. He doesn't miss it. There's nowhere you can go that's outside of his reach. There's nowhere you can go where he's not in full authority. I feel like sometimes I'm beating my head against a wall. Why do we doubt his authority and his promises? Why do we allow the enemy to whisper in, he's not going to be there. He, he's not going to catch you. Don't let him throw you up there. When we'll so willingly trust the most messed up people around us with so much more at times.
we're going to worship him. But before we do that, we're going we're to take communion. And I thought it fitting to take communion on a day like this because the whole preface of communion, the whole reason for communion, we talked extensively about this back in the Last Supper, but the whole point of communion is, is it's Jesus standing up and saying, look, look, I'm doing something. I'm, I'm creating a new covenant. I'm creating a, a new way about going about things that is going to change everything for the entirety of history. And I'm doing that so that you can be free, so that you can walk in hope. And so when we take communion, we get to take communion as an opportunity to remember what Jesus has done. Well, I, didn't think, I couldn't think of any better reason to take communion than, than maybe just remembering how much authority he has. And so for some of us, maybe when we get up, we're not going to pass it. We're just going to let you go back and get it yourselves. For some of us, it's, maybe it's, maybe it's we, need to, we need to wrestle with this. Like, why are we not giving him full authority? What, what areas are we holding on to? It's like he's got, you know, like our life is compartmentalized. And we say, okay, yeah, you can throw me up and down all you want over here when it comes to my time. But don't, 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 don't do this with my family. Will we not, not with my future? Mm-mm, not, not with my finances, not with, no, 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 no. Don't you even think about taking this pet sin of mine away. I just don't know if you'll catch me there. And so for us to take communion, it's, 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 the, it's the deep tension resolved in Jesus Christ's sacrifice. The tension that, that we can understand that we no longer have to operate as if we have authority. Like, there's so much freedom in that. If you've ever been a manager at a position, you understand what I'm talking about. Like, it stinks. We get, it, we get to go, we don't have the authority. The authority is God's. And when we, when we think of the, 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 the cup or we eat of the blood or eat of the, the bread, we're, we're, we're acknowledging that his, his flesh was broken for us, his blood was spilled out for us so that we can know without a shadow of doubt that he is with us. He is with us through absolutely everything. Maybe that's what some of you need to rest on today. Maybe some of you just need to understand that despite your circumstances, despite how hard the last couple years or year or months have been, he's still with you in the middle of it all. And maybe that's what you need to do. But wherever it is, I, I challenge you to do it this way. If you're going to take communion, I challenge you to settle once and for all his authority. To recognize that when you're, you're partaking in what he has done for you on the cross, you're surrendering to his authority. When you give yourselves to that, you say, okay, Jesus, all authority is yours. And what comes with that is the most amazing and beautiful and profound promise that that none of us will ever fully grasp or understand, but it is that Jesus will be with you through everything. And that may mean that the next 10 years of your life are absolutely horrific, but Jesus is still with you. When we believe that promise more than the circumstances of our life, it changes our outlook. And we realize in spite of our circumstances, we're still called to be on mission. And that mission is to make disciples. Best part of that is, is that he is the one with the authority. He is the one with the power. and He is the one that is doing it in us through the promise of the Spirit of God. We pray, God, thank you for, thank you for the reminder in my life of your authority. Forgive me for uh, being so foolish, like a two-year-old hiding from someone, thinking that I, uh, I have control or that I have authority. 
And thank you for taking that. Thank you for giving me the ability to trust in your authority, even at times as weak as that is. God, I pray for, for every individual in here, um, for those that have, that have committed their lives to you, that, that, that claim, that follow, that say that they are following you as a disciple, God, I pray that they would, they would rest in your authority. And God, that may mean that there is areas in which your authority is, is rushing up against stuff that isn't connected to you and you're trying to cut away from it. God, I pray that we would just, in all humility, surrender ourselves to you. And God, for those in the room that, that continue to wonder about you, continue to question who you are, I pray that you would help them see clearly that your authority is real and true and everlasting. And God, for, for, for all of us that at times in our lives, whether it's a, a Monday or a Sunday or an evening or it's a parent or it's a college or it's at work or it's any other aspect of our life, God, would you um, inundate us, overwhelm us by your spirit and the fact that you are presently with us through absolutely everything. May we not be blinded by our circumstances. May we not doubt. God, may we come to you like an excited two-year-old with our arms up saying, again, again, throw me again, because the exhilaration to be used by you for your glory and your glory alone is better than any other thing we can experience in this life. And when you throw, God, as high as it may feel, as scary as it may seem, may we trust ultimately that you're gonna catch. And may our lives be marked like that. So when we, when we partake of the bread or the juice, when we, we partake of your communion, may we not only remember what you have done for us, but we'd also take opportunity to look forward to what you're doing in and through us for your glory. May we be able to take this time to, to worship you through communion, to worship you through, through song. God, would you just continue to overwhelm us with your presence? Even if it means our circumstances don't change, God, we trust you and your authority. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.